Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. It's great to have you. If you would be open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. We'll continue a lesson out of that particular chapter that we began this morning. Uh, as you're turning there, let me mention to you a few things of, of uh, great importance. We appreciate so much all that participated in the teacher's workshop yesterday. Andrew did a wonderful job organizing that and executing that day, and it was a tremendous blessing to us as teachers and, and many from uh, many other churches. We had probably uh, 70 or more people here, and what a blessing it was uh, to be a part of that. And we appreciate God giving us the opportunity to be a part of that. Keep in mind, next Saturday, or this coming Saturday now, uh, the Timothy Hill Children's Breakfast, a wonderful opportunity to be a part of a great work. You've been hearing it announced. If uh, if you can be a part of that, it'll be a great blessing for you and for them also. Uh, again, we remind our young men that want to be a part of the area worship services. Tonight after service, we'll have our second of three meetings. And uh, be sure and come to that and be a part of it. And we appreciate so much, you young men, your willingness to serve God. Also, at lunch today, the older young lady serving Christ served uh, the widows and widowers uh, lunch. And what a blessing that is to see both of those groups and, and them uh, serving and being served. We love and appreciate our young people and those that are older also. Also keep in mind, Bible class emphasis day is Sunday. And uh, find a Bible class and be a part of If you're not already in one, a uh, quarter will begin Sunday. It'll be a wonderful opportunity to be a part of a Bible class. And uh, also find a friend that you can invite and, and have them to come be a part of your Bible class also. Also, do keep in mind, as has been mentioned several times, the pictorial directory. Uh, what would a, a pictorial, uh, a portrait of your family be like if you were missing? Well, as a church family, it's kind of that same thing. It just isn't really the pictorial directory we had in mind if, if you're not in it. So please plan on being in it. But then also, it takes a lot of help uh, to just man the stations and all during this period of time that pictures are being taken. And so if, if you could come and help and be a part of that, be sure and let the Pelfries know that. And uh, you and what you can do would be a great help to everyone. Pictorial directory, I, I think you know this. This probably doesn't have to be said. It's a valuable tool to a life of a congregation. Uh, that, that tool is used every day in the life of the congregation, probably many, many times every day. And so we need it to be the best tool that it can be, and you're required for that to be. So be responsible. You know, Mama would just tell you, do what you're supposed to do. And so uh, just do it. You don't have to like it and all that stuff. Just be there and smile and do it. And, and it'll just make a better directory for everybody. So uh, just do your part and that'll, that'll be good. You know, we're thinking about relationships. And as we think about relationships, we've been thinking about whether or not, whether or not we're safe in relationships. And especially whether or not other people are safe in relationships that we share. And especially today, we're studying principles that would apply to co-workers and friends. And the truth is, to any of our relationships that we share. But we're trying to give application that would especially be for co-workers and friends. And so as we read in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, it is there in verse 16 that we read something that really captures our thoughts. When he says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul says, we started looking at people differently once we became a Christian. We as Christians ought to be different co-workers than everyone else. We ought to be different friends than everyone else. 
Our level of commitment to do what is right to another person ought to be of the highest standard that would stand out in comparison to someone who did not have the direction of the Lord in their life. Now, to remind you where we, what we covered this morning and where we've been this morning, and if you weren't here, just notice 12 and 13. As you notice 12 and 13, Paul is making that plea about, I'm not a false apostle, and, and I expected you to be the one to boast on our behalf. And at the end of 12, he says, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are sound of mind, it is for you. And so Paul begins this paragraph by saying, listen, just look at us. We lived among you. You know me inside and out. You know I have a sincere heart. It's the idea of singleness of heart. A heart that is set upon God to do the right thing. But now notice the second thing. He said, just look at our life. Our life is all about God. Notice the third thing. He said, look at our mind. It's a healthy mind. It's a mind that's set upon serving others. Now, once he lays that groundwork, we look to the fact that he said in verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. And then we looked in 15, and this is what he taught about the love of Christ, that he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The idea of the love of Christ compelling us could also be translated the love of Christ arrested us. It's the idea now that we interact with others not based upon what others have done or did not do. We react upon the relationship based upon what the Lord has done for us. We're captured by the love of Christ and we're going to live our life based as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, this begins to change everything. Notice as we go again to that verse that we already mentioned, but yet this morning we didn't develop this verse. So now let's begin tonight at verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. You've heard me say many times when we see the word therefore, we need to stop and say, what is it therefore? It's always there to link what's just been said with what is about to be said. What has he just said? He has just said that if we have been arrested by the love of Jesus Christ, we no longer live for self, but we live for the one that has rose from the grave. Now, what did the one that has risen from the grave teach us? He taught us that we are to love others as he loved us. There's no greater commandment than, or no greater love that one lay down his life for another. He served us. He loved us unconditionally. He loved us sacrificially. And so that's the way we are to love others. Therefore, how's this going to link together? Jesus, your love is arresting us. Therefore, and what's he about to teach? How we view other people. But he also gives us one more phrase of emphasis. Look after the therefore in 16. From now on. He's referencing a point in time here. He says, now, if you were to talk to me before this point in time, I wouldn't have regarded people the way that I'm going to teach you that I now regard them. But something has changed in my life. And after this point, from now on... Wait a minute, Paul. You're going to teach us how to regard people. Now, is this going to be when they treat you fairly? No, no, you're not understanding, Paul says. It's from now on. Wait a minute, what if they're good to you? It's from now on. 
You see, again, the emphasis is not based upon what other people have done or not done. The emphasis is that now that the love of Christ has arrested us, from now on, what are we going to do? Notice the rest of that phrase there. We regard no one according to the flesh. You ever put on sunglasses and maybe uh, you say, wow, everything kind of looks a little bit of a yellow tint with these sunglasses. So you put them back on the rack and you put on some other one, you know, hey, everything kind of looks a bluish tint with these on. You put on the world's glasses. Oh, I'm seeing what people are doing to me. It's making me angry. I'm going to have to put them in their place. I'm going to have to strike back. Oh, I'm following that in my memory. I won't ever forget they said that about me. Wait a minute. Paul says, put those glasses up. Put on the glasses that looks through the love of Christ that has arrested you. It's compelled you. Now, through those tinted views, what do you see? Oh, I see the Lord. And what does the Lord want me to do? Now, I don't view anyone according to the flesh anymore. It's not about them. It's about the Lord. It's not about them as race, stature, beauty, their talents, their accomplishments, their titles. I don't see them and decide how to treat them based upon fleshly things any longer. What do you see, Paul? He says, now I view them through a spiritual lens. I see someone who's made after the image of God. I see a soul. I see someone who deserves agape. Remember this morning we studied about agape as a decision to treat someone what's right and best. And we went over that in 1 Corinthians 13. When we see someone through the spiritual lenses of the love of Jesus Christ, everyone is an opportunity to practice agape. Now, this, you know how someone writes like Paul and all of a sudden he gives you an illustration and you say, wow, not only does that help me understand it, that was powerful. Do you see his personal illustration that he gave in this very same verse? He says, I remember a time when the Messiah was standing on earth. And I looked at him through physical lenses. And I didn't see him as the Messiah. It wasn't until I put on the spiritual lenses that I recognized my Lord and Savior. Friends, think how many Jews looked at Jesus through the physical lenses and He just didn't match up with what they thought. They thought the Messiah was going to be a king of kings of a fleshly sense. That he was going to be born in Jerusalem, or at least live and reign in Jerusalem. That he would be of of some great family of royalty. That he would walk around with a physical, powerful presence. And here comes this carpenter's son from Galilee. Here comes this one that didn't have the formal education that they all loved and respected. And when this great Messiah, God on earth, walks before them... They didn't recognize who he was. Paul says, I want to tell you how dangerous it is. When we view people the wrong way, look what we can miss out on. 
This makes me stop and think something that I have no way on this side of eternity knowing the answer. But I wonder how many good friends I've missed out on because I viewed them physically and not spiritually. I wonder how many relationships that a lot of people in the world would say, well, that's a very unique friendship. You wouldn't expect those two to be good friends. I wonder how many of those friendships we've missed out on because we allow the world to shape us. And we form friendships just like the world forms friendships. We act and react to people just like the world acts and reacts to people. And what have we missed out on? Paul almost missed out on the Messiah because of that. And it took a miraculous bright light from heaven to get him to look at the Lord in a different way. Friends, when we're arrested by the love of Christ, we view people differently. But now notice the next verse, verse 17. And it's interesting, again, we have the word therefore. You see how Paul's wanting to make sure that we continue this line of thinking about the love of Christ? It's bringing that theme of the love of Christ. We're arrested by it. It it affects the way we view others. And now, notice how it transforms us. Look at 17. Therefore, if anyone... You can't pick and choose on this. This is anyone that's open to this. If anyone is... In Christ, a phrase that Paul loved. He used this or a form of it at least 169 times in his writing. What is it to be in Christ? We learn in Galatians 3 and 27 and Romans 6 and 3 that we're baptized into Christ. It's where we step out of the world and we step into that relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, he's putting a a point in time when we're supposed to change in our relationship with others. It's whenever we've placed our life in Christ and we've been arrested by the love of Christ and we're starting to view people spiritually, not physically. And so there he says in 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, here's the result. He's a new creation. Well, Paul explain or describe that new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What is it? To be that new creation. You remember in Romans 12 and verse 2, Be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That transformation, that becoming a new creature, it begins in the mind, a mind and a heart and a life that submits to the ways of Jesus Christ and becomes a living sacrifice. Things are different. What I'd like to do is I'd like for us to look at two passages as we move this sermon toward the end. And... And we've still got a little bit to go. Don't grab your songbook. But we're just going, I want to show you where we're going. What we're going to do is we're going to look at two passages where he shows us so clearly saying, let me tell you the old things that I took off. Let me tell you the new things that I put on. Now we could apply these to almost anything about our life. But today we're studying relationships. As we read these things, and if you will, be turning Colossians, the third chapter. As we read these things, I want to ask you to take and apply these to your life. These things that are old things, can you say, I really am a new creation. The way I interact with others, I've put those things out of my life. The way I interact with others, these new things that Paul talks about, they are really a part of my relationship with others. As we read in Colossians, the third chapter, 
Notice in verse 8 and 9, Colossians 3, 8 and 9. If you remember Colossians 3 and 1, talks about if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. And you know that being raised with Christ is coming out of the watery grave of baptism. See, that's point in time again. That from that time forward, we're new. We are arrested by the love of Christ. We view people differently. And so can I say, along with Paul in verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off. That's what, just like taking a garment off. We're to put off all these anger. How do I deal with my coworker? Do I let them get under my skin and provoke me to react to them? He says, no, that's the way I used to do. I don't now react to them. Those emotions that they stirred, I've stopped allowing them to push those buttons. Now I'm looking at what the Lord wants me to do. Wrath, malice, malicious acts, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds. Our interaction with co-workers, can we say those things never happen? It doesn't matter what they do. What they don't do, these things don't happen because that was the old me. I'm now arrested by the love of Christ. Let's look at the new us. Look in verse 12. The new me, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. Have you ever thought that people that are tender-hearted, they're just born that way? They are, but it's not a physical birth, it's a spiritual birth. When they're born into Christ... People that are truly children of God have tender hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. And then he goes on to say, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. You see his motive? Even there, he explains the motive. You don't forgive because of what they did. You forgive because of what the Lord has done for you, and now you love others in that same way. And then he says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. See the old things that are to be taken off, the new things that are to be put on, and how that would change our attitude toward others. Let's look at a sister passage of this, Ephesians the fourth chapter. Back up a few pages. Ephesians the fourth chapter. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we're going to look at verse, uh, beginning at verse 25. Now, if we started the paragraph above this, which is really a perfect lead-in into this, this is where he talks about the futility of mind and, and being what he, what he should not be. But then he talks about in verse 20, 21, 22, 23, about how he's learned Christ and he's been taught of Christ and now he's put off the former conduct and now he's put on the new man. And so now we read more about this new man's activities. And notice 25. And what I'm going to do, and you'll see on the screen here, I'm I'm only going to mention the portion of the verses that talk about the things that are put off at this time. In verse 25, he said, therefore, putting away lying. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. 28, let him who stole still no longer. 29, let no, see how it's singular? No corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Can we go to the workplace tomorrow and not say anything that tears someone down? 30, 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness... What is it that creates those long-term hard feelings in the workplace? It's when we just let it pile up and pile up and we pack it in and we pack it in and we are a walking time bomb. We are bitter from the time we get there in the morning and we're bitter when we leave and we're driving home thinking about how we've been mistreated, someone is working against us, etc. And the Lord says, I don't want that. Don't react to individuals. You serve me and you practice forgiveness. Notice the rest of this. Wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. Put it away from you with all malice. Now let's go back and scan some of these same verses. Ephesians 4, beginning at 25 again. And let's see them now from the things that we're to put on. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. We're members one of another. We really do have responsibility to each other. 28. Rather let him labor. This is where he says not to steal, but now he says, Rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Remember this morning already, and again tonight, we talk about agape is generous. It's always looking for someone to help, someone that has a need. Not so, later on you can pay me back. It's the idea of, I want to help you, I want to serve you, Because I want to practice agape because that is the love that I have learned from Jesus Christ. 29, he's talking about the evil things proceeding out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. We speak words that build up if we're the new man. We speak words that are gracious words to those that hear those words. 32, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Now, remember, it's man that put in the chapter breaks. Really, to conclude this line of thinking, we have to move to the next two verses in the fifth chapter. Now, as we go to this next screen, I want you to notice what verse 1 and 2, the simple plea, therefore, he's linking together what's just been said, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Now, wait a minute. That's interesting that that's the therefore. Because he's just talked about how we walk with others. Now, wait a minute. We're walking with others and, and, and we're, we're putting away the bitterness and the evil speaking and we're being tender and mercy and forgiving. And he says, you see, what I'm asking you to do is imitate Jesus. You live with others the way Jesus lived with others. Well, that's been the lesson all day. We've been arrested by the love of Jesus. Now, practice that love. Jesus, what's the love? You love others the way I've loved you. Notice verse 2. Walk in love. That's agape again. The walk is our daily conduct. Walk in love. Live a daily conduct of agape. As Christ also has loved us. That's that same teaching again. And given Himself for us. Now, here's the summary. An offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. Of all the ways to conclude this, he says, Now listen, when Jesus died upon the cross, He was an offering for mankind that was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Now that's kind of mind-boggling to us. It's really hard for me to imagine, especially growing up around a little bit what I'm about to tell you. I've smelt animals burn. To me, there's nothing pleasant about a burnt sacrifice. 
Can you imagine under the Old Testament where they had all of these burnt offerings and there's no doubt that it was a stench to those that were burning Him. But to God, it was what He commanded. And to God, it was a sweet-smelling sacrifice. And so now... He's saying, look, this is the way I want you to live with others. Put off these things. Put on these things. As a matter of fact, it's this simple. Imitate Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus is that perfect example that when He treated others the way He was supposed to treat others, it was a great smelling sacrifice to God. Now, I'm really not saying this trying to be funny. I'm really not. But do you realize our sacrifice toward others, if it's not like Christ, it's not a sweet-smelling savor to God. The way you and I live in the workplace, God is either saying, oh, that's my faithful Christian, my child, my son, my daughter, or He's repulsed. He's saying they stink. Why do they call themselves Christians and embarrass my family like that? It's not at all what I would have my children to be. You see, the point is this. Most of us are familiar with a pause button. We're familiar with the concept of being able to watch a movie or or DVD and and be able to say, "Wait, wait, wait just a minute, pause. You know, when we look in the Scriptures at the idea of responding to others... I really believe what the Lord wants us to do is whenever someone is about to push our button in the wrong way, the Lord wants us to have enough discipline. The Bible would call it temperance or self-control. To be able to push the pause button and instead of immediately striking back, instead of doing something that is a reaction to already what is wrong and to respond in a way that's wrong also, The Lord wants us to be able, out of a pure conscience, to be able to evaluate what God's will would be and to make a decision that would glorify God. You know, the psalmist said, I thought of my ways and turned my feet into that testimony. Paul taught us that we need to think on things that are true and honest and just and pure and are lovely and a good report. And he says, think on these things. Have you ever thought about when's the most crucial time to think on those things? I think we ought to think about them many occasions in life. But especially when we're about to say or do the wrong thing, that's a good time to press the pause button and say, wait a minute, I need to think on things that are good and righteous. Not on things that are full of vengeance and anger and evil. So tonight... I ask you as you're looking at that slide, how well do you do in having the stimulus and the response and putting enough time in between there to say, I'm going to give a godly response to this. This morning, we began by talking about various individuals in workplaces that literally took individuals' lives physically. Now, that's an extreme. But have you ever thought how many people, for them, work is a very difficult, trying environment? That if they had to write down some of the hardest aspects of their life, they would write down relationships at work. It's hard on them emotionally, mentally, 
maybe spiritually and socially. Now, wouldn't it be a shame if a Christian was part of that that was making their life so difficult? How could we ever say that we're arrested by the love of Christ, that we view others not through the flesh but through the Spirit, and that we're transformed, And yet, we're literally pulling down our fellow man. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What better way to say that you're a faithful child of God than when things are difficult and conflict is thick, and emotions are flaring to do the righteous thing in the work environment. I mentioned to you first thing this morning, I don't think we're studying an easy topic, but I believe we're really getting down to some of the daily responsibilities that we have in relationships. Let's do better this week. Let's grow, let's mature, let's give our best for God. He deserves it. And so do those people we work with. That might be our opportunity to show them more of Jesus than they've ever seen. Are you a child of God? Are you a faithful child of God? If you've never been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, won't you do that tonight? Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, you've lost the focus. You've lost the way. Good news is, God offers a way back home. He's that loving Father that loves relationships. He loves to welcome us home. He doesn't drill us about our sins. He just asks us to repent and come home. If we can help you in any-